For whatever reason, they're allowing me to say, this is the Doctor Who podcast. You're most welcome. It's January, the beginning of Who and Company's seventh season, and there's no better folks to start off the year with than our annual January guests, James and Michelle from the DWP. Our New Year's tradition of discussing the most recent Lost episode to be animated continues, this time with Season 5's The Abominable Snowmen. What did we think? Are we happy it's back? Is the great intelligence really all that great? (laughs) Twenty years I've been searching. 20 years. I've staked my reputation and every penny I own on this expedition. Now, when I'm close to fighting them, you want to steal my glory just for the sake of a cheap headline. Finding them? Finding what? Don't pretend. They're here somewhere on these mountains. What are? You know, the Yeti, the abominable snowmen. So here we are. It's January again. We're kicking off season seven of uh, Who and Company. And what better folks to do it with than James and Michelle, who have joined us pretty much every year in January that we've, we've been on doing this podcast. And once again, we are here to discuss an animated Doctor Who episode. Now, in the past couple of Januaries, we have definitely checked in on our lockdown. But since we're kind of stopping doing that i'm just curious quick review of doctor who in 2022 just because it rhymes um just how was your doctor who year last year i think it's kind of a tale of two stories on the one hand we we watched jodie whittaker wind down her year and while i continue to champion her as a doctor i was not one of my favorite eras in terms of scripts and 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 the way Anyway, the way it played out. So on the one hand, it was there was the the bittersweet farewell to Jodie Whittaker and her era, um, but at the same time, all of this wonderful, exciting news about the future of the show was coming out with RTD and the looking ahead and the specials and Shooty Gatwa beyond that. And so, um, yeah, for me, it was, and then the the ongoing plethora of big finish stories and and i got into the comics for the first time this year so um my doctor who fandom feels uh very healthy and very exciting and um bring it on james i'm sorry yes listeners i'm gonna need to be prompted i'm just gonna keep quiet you can tell i'm not feeling well and you can say in sympathy too what's the email address brent (laughs) (laughs) who and company at yahoo.com and just include sympathy in the subject title. Um, yeah. yeah, no, my my Doctor Who in twenty two uh, was was quite good. I have to say, not so much um, because there was loads of it on the television. I think I'm right in saying that we had the New Year episode, which was the car park or the warehouse episode, wasn't it? Eve of the Daleks. Then Legends of the Sea Devils. Just wanted to see Drew 
gristle there and uh, <laughs> whenever you mention that episode and power of the doctor so three episodes of doctor who so nothing monumental really um but i think my um my uh, own personal journey with with doctor who was was quite fun because i found myself having to compensate for what lacked on on tv so same as michelle lots of uh, lots of big finish um been really enjoying some of the the, the spin-offs as well and and actually been doing a little bit more reading um, of Doctor Who stories, uh, which is not something that I've done for for many years. So some of the new Target books that were released, I think, a couple of years ago now, um, the, the the kind of old style Target books of new era stories. Uh, enjoyed the Witchfinders very much um, and the Christmas Invasion, um, but but Doctor Who again. I, I always look at it in terms of what the level of consciousness is in in the, the public, really. So obviously, I'm tired. I'm not very well. All my words are coming out in the wrong order. But uh, but the status in which um, uh, Doctor Who or the status Doctor Who has uh, in the UK, I feel, has dropped. Uh, it's people are not as aware of it, um, and I kind of fight back uh, in those periods. And uh, really, really engage with um, with my own fandom. So, uh, so I've been enjoying myself, but uh, I'm looking forward to the future far more, really. Um, and it, it looks as though Russell T Davis has got a whole bunch of stuff for us to get really excited about. And that's all I really want is just to be excited about Doctor Who. Now, James, I noticed you started by referencing the car park episode, and as I recall, that that special was actually like a storage unit not a car park maybe you're confusing it with the other highlight of the doctor who year which was the doctor who podcast car park episode in which (laughs) the four of us currently on the call were live in person from a car park but that was a highlight it was it was the highlight certainly um but uh, as i said I, I was focusing more on actual stories really rather than um i suppose our own personal fandom but of course meeting uh, in in real life was wonderful car park or notwithstanding uh, it was it, it was great um just just to be together in person and i can't wait for drew and brent and yourself michelle to to visit me and i can show you a car park in the middle of london and uh, <laughs> Brent, how was your year? Oh, it was good. Um, like we said, it was like a crossover year between two eras. So we uh, had a bit of a slow first half of the year, and then the second half uh, that they kind of crossed over each other with Russell T. Davies coming in a little earlier than maybe he was supposed to <laughs> with his promotion. Uh, but it was great. And the uh, the finale, I thought, was was really good. But all the news that we've been getting in the last few months has gotten me very excited um, for uh, more Doctor Who next year, more Big Finish, and more animations, possibly, that we found out lately. And some kind of, uh, was it um, The Mirror? Was it The Mirror that said that? Yeah, it was one of the trashy tabloids over here that um, gets every article they report wrong except Doctor Who stories. And uh, Right, ours think, is called the National Enquirer. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Well, yeah, probably something very similar then. Um, but for what it's worth, I think those stories have got a bit of credibility. We, we all thought 
that the um, end of the animations was not really the final end because the minute one of these organisations who are interested in producing and, and making animations realise there's quite a bit of cash to be made and the BBC can just licence them, then it was just a matter of time, I think. And perhaps um, the funding from BBC America ended um, more abruptly than everybody else was thinking, so nothing was there uh, to replace it. But yeah, I think the rumours are that... is it? It's not Marco Polo, is it? I just assume... Any rumour um, concerning the 60s or the missing episodes includes Marco Polo. but um, The it, article it was, was uh, The Smugglers and um, something else. Was it was it the Underwater Menace? The rest of the Underwater yeah, yeah. Menace? It was, Underwater Menace, yeah. yeah. Which is um, slightly odd given two episodes exist and uh, those are the ones people generally wish was were missing. But... <laughs> <laughs> And another part of it was that they were going to do at least one 60s Doctor Who story colorized, which would yes. be really cool. Yeah. Um, but then I've seen another rumor that dispelled that and said, actually, it may be Marco Polo that they do. So who knows? I knew Marco Polo would feature somewhere. Yeah. 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 That's the James rumor. <laughs> it's probably me. It's the fact that I talk about it every time missing episodes come up in the news. <laughs> Yeah, and as far as I'm concerned, I kind of just agree with what everyone said. Um, one of the things that I just really appreciate about the fandom is, uh, unlike previous years where most of the conversations were, why aren't we hearing anything about Doctor Who other than what's coming on TV? Just the fact that people are talking about Doctor Who again in a positive and, and sort of hopeful light is is exceptional. And it makes me really excited for the fandom going to a Doctor Who convention even though you know I'd been to one the previous year, but it was still you know a little bit in the throes of the pandemic, and it was still a little iffy about how things were getting done. Having it, uh, having a Li Who, and it just kind of enjoying the guests and listening to people talk about the fandom and and the future of the show really has me excited for what's coming next. So that's I'm I'm really looking forward to Doctor Who in 2023, especially since we did get a a trailer for the the specials recently and it is going to be um you know the the story that got me into doctor who in the first place so that feels incredibly special uh, and personal to me so i'm looking forward to that i find it interesting drew that you focus on um the things i didn't which is uh, which is the fandom is the stuff that's not fundamentally related to the the tv series um Gordon, I, I think we should push you and just get you to uh, to give us your thoughts on the three episodes that aired last uh, last year. Not not a, not a review, uh, but just just tell me now after the event um, how you feel Doctor Who was represented um, or how you experienced it in the states last year. Well, I mean, the reason I I speak on the fandom rather than the actual events is because everyone else already spoke of the events, and there's no reason to repeat it three times. But uh, I, I would say good, incredibly bad, and mixed. <laughs> Fair enough. Episodes. And the reason we ask you, Drew, is because your experiences are always very different to everybody else's, you see. So, And there's some value in hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I appreciate that. And uh, I'll, I'll certainly give you my opinions. I don't believe it. <laughs> marvellous! After all this time! Oh, what's so marvellous about that? But don't you see, Jamie? It's the Himalayas! And I, I do believe we're in exactly the right... Uh, wait a minute. 
the, the, the Himalayas. The what? Shush, shush. The Himalayas, Jamie. They're mountains. I can see that. Hey, is it the Earth Doctor? I do fancy another tangle down the Cybermen's tomb. Uh, shush, Jamie, shush. Yes, of course, it's the Earth. Yes. Yes, I think I'm right. Yes. Where are there, these mountains? Don't you know where the Himalayas are? They're in India. Well, at least I think so. Yes, that's it! I knew it! I knew it! It's incredible! Right. <clears throat> oh, no! No, not India. This is Tibet. That's where we are, Tibet. Now, there's no time to be lost. Speaking of opinions, we, I'm sure, have opinions of this, the most recent, because I believe this was released in the United States in September of 2022. So this, The Abominable Snowman, is the most recent animation to be released to the public. I know that the UK got it sometime earlier than we did in the US, but uh, States got it in September, like I said. Um, I assume everyone has watched it, has notebooks filled with notes. Uh, we're all <laughs> very prepared to discuss this. Uh, so who wants to kick us off with their opinion? Maybe a, a quick opinion. We'll go into more detail about the Abominable Snowman. Actually, let me ask you this. Before we get to this, I want to know about your previous experience with the Abominable Snowman. So... Uh, those who have watched either um, the what, what are we calling them the um, the, the reconstructions the reconstructions yeah. anybody familiar with the reconstructions with the abominable snowman first there's a lot of head nodding yeah. but they forget that podcasting is not a visual <laughs> medium so uh, Brent you have watched the reconstruction of abominable snowman is that correct yeah it's been a while um, maybe 10 years or so and um I just always found that story very slow, very uh, boring in parts. And I'll explain when we when we go through the animation part how this time it was a lot better. It was a lot more engaging this time for me. Michelle, did you um, delve into the reconstructions of Bumble Snowman? I have never seen a reconstruction, uh, and this is one of the handful of Doctor Who stories that I had never seen uh, in any form. And, and although I do think, I'm almost positive that I fairly recently read the Target novel, um, but oddly enough, I, I couldn't remember the plot. Um, so I felt very much like I was coming to this pretty doggone fresh, about as fresh as you can get when you're, when you're watching 1960s Doctor Who. Um, so it was, it, was, it was neat to finally experience it, to tick one more off my list of, of shows I wasn't particularly familiar with. I always love that there that it seems like in the last couple of years we've been getting those just one more episode so folks who have been like I've seen everything except for this one and so now it feels like the the, the experience kind of almost never ends. Uh, yeah. folks had to wait yeah. some folks had to wait a really long time. You know, as a, as a new fan myself, it feels like it's all been kind of handed to me on a silver platter. Yeah. Um, well, I feel uh, like I'm I'm probably down to about less than 10 that I have not yet seen in in some format, but uh this knocks another one off the list. I mean, Doctor Who fans uh, keep on finding ways to reset that count. Uh, and it's part of the reason why uh, there's such an interest in the hunt for the missing episodes. Because, of course, as soon as another episode is discovered, then actually you haven't seen the entire televised series of Doctor Who. So uh, although, Michelle, you're 
marking the number down because you're including the animations i still like to think at some point uh, we'll be able to say no we actually need to go back to the abominable snowman because we can now see the original transmitted version i would well. love but that all, yeah all, all i'm really doing there is articulating what every 60s who fan uh, once. Um, but I, I have seen the reconstructions as well. Uh, I'm very familiar with a soundtrack uh, to this this story. And um, yeah, certainly to echo what Brent said, it is undeniably arthritic in pace. Um, it's, it's certainly not a problem for me. I think that's all part of its uh, magic. But I love this story. Um, it, it follows Tomb of the Cybermen. So, you know, it's coming off a really strong and very different episode. Um, and uh, revisiting it on um, in a different format, and, uh, and and certainly the way that they've put some of the sounds uh, into this version as well. So I think they've clearly had much higher quality source material for the soundtrack. Uh, it it's a very different experience, and uh, watching this compared to previous animations, again, it just felt fairly new. And uh, for me, I I really enjoyed it. And um, despite the fact that I knew the story um, and I knew what was coming, uh, I knew the themes, uh, I, I still love it. I still think it's a fantastic um, six episodes and wonderful way to spend uh, some time or uh, an afternoon just uh, just watching TV. My, my biggest problem with this one is because of its pace and because of how lovely it looks and possibly because of some of the chanting, I keep falling asleep and, and, <laughs> and having to restart the episodes. And that's happened on about at least three or four episodes. And I still don't think, I'm afraid, I've managed to watch episode six in its entirety prior to recording with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, um, uh, I haven't watched any reconstructions. I've tried and, and they just don't gel with me. My attention span doesn't work uh, for that. So this was one of the first Target novelizations I ever read. And uh, I remember really enjoying the story because it, there's, it's a real fascinating idea behind what's happening. And as we will talk about the um, watching it in a six-episode format versus reading it in more condensed uh, novelization, uh, it, it is a very different experience from it. But um, it was something I was really looking forward to because I, I had seen the one – we had one episode, is that correct – yeah, just I'd one. Leave, one. Yeah. I'd, I'd watched it. You know, I did my due diligence. Um, you know, especially um, after meeting Deb Watling, just sort of like uh, I, I wanted to see more because there's just so few episodes with her in it. So um, it was one I, I sought out. And I can't remember if it was on the Lost in Time collection. Brent, does that sound correct, Michelle? For yeah. The, um, in the states, yeah, it's uh, it's episode two, and and it was on that collection, yeah, yeah. So you know, I I watched it, I enjoyed it. Definitely watching it went made me feel, ooh, really, this might be going top of the list of things I hope we get back one day, uh, because you know, certainly as coming to it, having access to things like um, the non-abominable snowmen. Uh, learning about the great intelligence in its infancy uh, certainly seemed like a, an exciting prospect. So, uh, aside from James, have we all watched all six episodes? Mm-hmm. 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 So, Michelle, why don't you start us off and, and tell us what you thought, um, given the chance that you came to this fairly fresh. Uh, no, no, so you said you read the Target novelization, didn't you? Uh, yeah, but I oddly, I couldn't remember any of the plot points. I had forgotten that the great intelligence 
it, it appears in this, uh, for instance. And so, and I, you know, I've seen Web of Fear, so I knew, I knew about the Yeti and, you know, a little bit about Travers and that kind of thing. But, um, but this very much was a discovery for me, um, which, which was nice. Um, I watched the first episode in black and white, the live, you know, the, the existing second episode, third episode, black and white, and then the, the final three I watched in color. Um, I like the setting, uh, and by that I mean both the idea that they're, you know, in the Himalayas and also the idea of setting a story in a, in a, a Buddhist monastery um, that just seems like such a out-of-the-ordinary place um, to set a story that, that I, I thought that was really nice. Um, I thought the great intelligence was suitably creepy, particularly in the way that he was forcing Padmasamba, Padmasambhava <laughs> to, yeah. uh, to, to do things that clearly he didn't want to do. That, that was really creepy at the times when, when um, the master, not that master, but the master of the monasteries true self would kind of plead, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. Um, I like the Yeti. Um, they, you know, I guess they could fall into being looking too cuddly, but I don't think they do. I, I, I think they um, look suitably menacing without being horrific, but um, it was slow. Um, it definitely needs to be a four-part story, maybe a three-part story. Um, and I don't think... The animation helped with that pacing uh, because the one episode that exists, it was so much more engaging to see Patrick Troughton's expressions and the acting that was going on and, and the life that he brings to that character in particular, none of which could come through, very little of which could come through in the animation. So um, I did this perhaps more than any other animated story I've watched. I struggled with the animation and feeling like it would have been more engaging had it been live action. Brent? Well, uh, like I said, I like this story a lot more this time than I have previously. And almost like it almost was like watching it new for the first time because, um, uh, especially episode six, I had forgotten what happened at the end. And that was actually quite gripping there at the end of big, the big standoff. Um, I think the animation really helps this story because previously we just had the recons and there's, there are long silences in there with just mm. a line at the bottom saying, you know, the doctor walks around a big room or something. Uh, but here it's animated, so you actually see those things, so it's not so boring or confusing as it may have been before. Um, I didn't really notice any plot holes, um, if there were any, other than um, all you really had to do to get away from the Yeti was run fast. Um, but uh, the animation itself looked great um and i watched the color version this time i know we usually talk about how we watched it michelle you you said you watched the first three in black and white and the last three in color um i watched the color version the whole time except for episode two where i watched the uh, existing episode what else and like you said the padma sambava thing or, or as jamie says padma thingy <laughs> was uh, uh it was he was visible in the animation but not in episode two where we had. It was just like a curtain he was behind. And, and I know they were building up that tension as a big reveal later. Um, we can talk about special features later because there's a story about um, about something they filmed that they didn't show. Um, 
But yeah, like you said, he was very creepy. He sounded like Boris Karloff. <laughs> and uh, I, I just really enjoyed it. Oh, and uh, is this the first time that we've seen the Doctor use his mental abilities? Because he does it twice here. He does it once to help Victoria, and he does it at the end to hold off the Great Intelligence. I, I, obviously, he does it later, but is this the first time we've seen him do that? Couldn't tell you for, for sure. Um, I'd need to go back and take a look at all of the um, uh, all of the Troughton stories and and, and um, then consider each one. I have to say, I don't recall any kind of um, telepathy or, uh, or, or or mental ability being displayed by the Doctor in any of the Troughton stories. I'm I'm sure, unless it was possibly uh, when the when the first Doctor is playing in Celestial Toy Maker, where he's playing that game. Mentally, maybe I the try logic game, quite possibly, yes. But uh, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid that my knowledge of the Troughton stories are the animated ones we've already t- discussed. Like, aside from reading the occasional Target novelization, I just haven't done the research. Uh, this is—it's certainly the era of Doctor Who that I am the least familiar with. Now, James, you've tipped your hand a little bit about what you what you thought, but do you have any um, further thoughts on on kind of revisiting this story? Um, I mean, when was the last time you um, either re-watched or re-read or did anything involving um, The Abominable Snowman? I, I couldn't tell you. I, I think it would have been a very, very long time ago, um, and it would have almost certainly have been just listening to the CD soundtrack in the car when I was driving somewhere. So I, I think there was some narration uh, as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I do have a few other bits and pieces um, that uh, it, it's worth mentioning. Um, and first of all, I, I did what I always do with these animated stories, and I watched them um, using every available format on the disc, uh, because I think that really does mix it up. Black and white, colour, reconstruction, tele snaps, um, and the, the live action, the original episode two as well. And that definitely keeps these longer stories uh, fresh for me. And of course, you know, all of the um, six or longer, uh, all of the six part or longer stories within the first and second Doctor's era, you can easily say could be condensed. And that's only because we're watching them, you know, with, with far fewer gaps uh, in, in between them than when uh, they were originally transmitted. But um, but yeah, I, I love this story. I, I, I agree with what Michelle said in terms of the setting. I think episode one is absolutely superb. Uh, and I, I disagree um, because I think uh, with, with Michelle's comments about the animation not enhancing the experience, because I really think it does for episode one. Um, and it is, it is slow paced. It is deliberately slow paced. We don't even find out what the mystery is uh, until the end of episode one, or I think possibly even beginning of episode two. The Doctor is there purely to give this relic back. Um, and, and he was there, what, two, three hundred years uh, before. And I like that nod as well, because we're talking about adventures uh, that we've not seen on TV. And that, that adds an air of mystery, I think, uh, to the second Doctor. Um, I think it looks great. I think the whole setting of the Himalayas is is perfect for a Doctor Who story. And I, I, I like 
any story that features lots of snow. And uh, I forget why. <laughs> it's probably the Christmas episode that Michelle and I recorded where I think we went through practically every Doctor Who story we could think of that featured snow. And I like them all because I think they all look really, really good. Um, so, yeah, apart from waiting to see the Doctor on skis, I think we've seen pretty much every uh, <laughs> every permutation, really. Well, in, well the in, irony was that they didn't have snow when they filmed it in, in actuality. I know, but... <laughs> but of course, this has been quite a... Um, this has been quite a well-kept secret, of course, because the script says, oh, there's snow, and if you haven't got any visuals, you don't know that actually <laughs> they were recording on us a grassy mountainside. Well, and, and, and it was interesting to me that... That in the animation they chose to include snow. Um, yeah, they were they were. Uh, oh, um, uh, how could you have the Himalayas without well, snow? I hadn't. I guess I had kind of pictured animations as trying to recreate what we could no longer see on screen. In other words, being as faithful to the the telesnaps or whatever they had, and and that was certainly not the case with this one. They they <laughs> they added um, or changed uh, the visuals to to yeah. improve perhaps what what. Had actually been possible back then, and may, may one, of them, one of them was one of them was taller mountains with lots of snow. <laughs> agreed, but may I respectfully suggest that uh, going down the road of uh, of deciding whether they should animate faithfully or animate in a way that pretty much everyone can understand a story uh, is, is 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 not a route I suggest you tread. Um, you will find Ian Levine uh, waiting for you at the end of the road. Um, <laughs> In a cave. <laughs> who are very, very, very angry um, because they haven't included absolutely every scene or indeed they've um, they've, they've changed some of the details. Uh, but anyway, I was, moving on away from that, um, I, I, think, um, I think the Yeti, are a bit disappointing in this story uh, and, and they come across far far better in the web of fear um, they do look too cuddly they move at about two miles an hour when they actually do move um, and they kind of i think dilute the myth of the abominable snowman because of course the abominable snowman is a myth you know you'd think there is actually a monster up in the himalayas um at no point has anyone prior to this story considered them being aliens that are that are controlled to only move around at any speed when they want their ball back. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I I like them. I like the idea of the great intelligence. I think that was very original. Um, looking back through the previous uh, list of stories uh, that we've had both in this season and the season prior to that, there isn't really anything comparable. It is an original idea. Uh, and I, th- I think it uh, it benefits uh, for that. Um, episode six, Brent, you said uh, you were surprised by how it ends. Well, I very much look forward to that because I still haven't seen it yet. <laughs> um, so you've, you've, you've built that up for me uh, as well. Um, was there anything else? Yes, um, quite clever, I think, use of music or shall we say lack of music. And I think this adds to the... Um, the slowness and the, uh, the the arthritic pace, as I described it earlier, because all you've really got are little sound effects. And of course, we, we get to hear for the first time that little electronic beeping sound that we will from that point on associate with, with the Yeti. And uh, that's, that's come back. Um, I mean, considering we saw um, the Yeti last in the Web of Fear, and we didn't see them again all the way until the Snowmen, 
Um, it's funny how every Doctor Who fan still knows what that little electronic beeping noise is and what it's associated with. It's instantly recognisable. Uh, and, and I think that's um, a really, really clever thing there. So, But yeah, on the whole, um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I'd never recommend watching a six episode in any format all in one hit. That way lies madness. Um, the discs are brilliant in terms of its creativity and the options that the viewer has as to how they consume the story. And uh, I, I would suggest that you take advantage of every possible option. How about you, Drew? Uh, well, for me, I watched all the color ones. I, <clears throat> I just watched the six um, because I didn't watch them via disc, so I, I watched them streaming. So I didn't have those options. I don't get the VAM, but uh, it, it certainly seemed like one that would enhance the experience. So I'm really glad to hear everyone say that it did. Uh, I'm, I am also curious to kind of delve into that one day and because they do such an amazing job with the added stuff that they, they put on those collections. Um, yeah, I as far as the animation is concerned... Um, one of the things that surprised me is the fact that, and I would be curious about the original, is that we had um, possibly actual Tibetans. <laughs> like, in the, the folks who are presented don't look like white men in yellow face. And that's, I think, a really good thing. I don't want to have recreations of uh, what the original broadcast looked like in that sense. So if it means adding snow and taller mountains and, and people who look um, native to the land, I think that worked out really good because the story does have one or two aspects of it that made me root against the, the doctor and, and their companions. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I found, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about the plot just quite yet. I did want to say this. I watched two episodes a night um, over the course of, of, uh, a week. So I watched two episodes, skip the day, two episodes, skip the day, two episodes. Um, and I think, James, and we, we've talked about this a number of times, I think really that's the way to go with the classic series is to not watch them all in one go unless it's an omnibus edition. For me, it works really well being able to watch a little bit and taking a bit of a break. And what I really enjoyed with this is it there it was a, just a straight continuation of the previous story. So there was no flashback for a minute, which I find really difficult, but I also understand completely why people would need that reminder of what happened a minute back into the story, unless that minute changes what happened, uh, which is the case in, in, in some episodes. Um, so yeah, just having the story just kind of flow, even though it takes forever, um, worked really well in, in the story's favor. Yeah. Um, James, you had mentioned you really like the idea of the story. There is something quite brilliant about um, Padma Sandabar being someone who spends their time in meditation being the one to get uh, picked by the great intelligence. Like someone who is mentally transcendent on this planet that would be... I mean, they don't talk about it. The Doctor never explains the situation to anybody. Um, and I don't feel like they have to. I feel like if you have any idea about meditation and, and Buddhist traditions, it, it really makes sense that meditation is the key to the great intelligence, this kind of free-floating force uh, taking over because you're sort of putting yourself out there. Uh, and we frequently get the human... 
uh, Quisling who works with either intentionally or unintentionally with the the fatty of the story. But I really like the idea that um, this is a, a mental thing versus something based on greed or based off of power. It's just sort of like, whoops, possession. So yeah, that that part of it really worked for me. No, I, I agree. Uh, I think the Doctor is quite an interesting character to to follow in this particular story. Um, and I like the way that he feels so at home in a monastery um, with a whole bunch of monks um, or <laughs> you know, with loads of cloisters uh, in the background. And of course, we, um, we find out later that actually um, there are elements of the Time Lord Society that have you know things in common with um with a monastery and uh i i think that was that was really good um and i like the way that actually the tables have been turned a little bit with him and jamie um and i'm not quite sure whether this was deliberate or even if it was just an error but uh I think it was the faceless ones. You've got Jamie, who can't stop talking about the TARDIS to anyone who will listen. Uh, and, and this time around, you've got the Doctor doing it and Jamie trying to prevent him not <laughs> not, not, not to do that. So uh, again, it's probably just a bit of a uh, a mistake um, and not something anyone really considered. But it's just kind of mixing those traits between Jamie and the Doctor. I've, I find quite fun to uh, uh, to, to notice. But um, but the the doctor's role in this, I mean, the doctor is in control right from the beginning. He knows why he's there. He knows what he wants to do. He's um, he's taking his time. He's quite happy to get involved in the intrigue and the mystery. Um, he's happy to get involved in the politics of the monastery as well. Uh, challenge the authority figures. And all of the time, conveniently forget to explain it to any of his companions. I mean, it is so doctorish. Um, and of course, that creates the the joy the viewer has of just watching Jamie. And um, I, I want to say Victoria. It is Victoria, isn't it? I'm ill. Remind me. Yes, Jamie and Victoria just running around trying to play catch up to almost every other character in this uh, in this story. You know, Drew, I was interested in what you said about so there are points at which you cheer against or you almost cheer against the doctor and his companions I, I i don't think i ever had any real issue with what the doctor or even jamie was doing but i was really bothered i'm not a big victoria fan to begin with but i thought she was outright inappropriate and disrespectful when she keeps trying to go force her way into the you know the inner sanctum um where padma yep. sambhava is she there there's nothing at that point of the story to suggest that anything untoward is going on you know within the heart of the monastery and you know they keep telling her this area is not an area where i mean even the monks aren't allowed to go in there with with only one exception and uh, ah joe me nuts um so that yeah yeah it's like <laughs> Hey, you know, show a little respect to your host. That bothered me too. That bothered me too because I've also never been a big Victoria fan. She's very whiny and and annoying at times. But she was determined to get into that sanctum, and there was no reason to do that. I suppose everyone thinks I'm a nuisance. Is that it? We are concerned for your safety, as you well know. You're not really going to lock me up in this beastly room, are you? No, I don't think that will be necessary. But you must promise to behave and not cause trouble. Do you mean? I think perhaps you are a little too inquisitive, Miss Victoria. But me? I just don't like mysteries. 
Well, the story required her to do it. Well, or, or the story required later. somebody to find out what was going on. I mean, we've already complained about how slow it was. I mean, if you have one of the main characters deliberately not trying to find out what the, the it was at the crux of the issue, then I, I think this would have been a ten-parter easy. Well, it would have been much more appropriate for the Doctor to want to to see his old friend. Um, I, I find it interesting how in a story that has one woman, you're trying to denigrate her role in it. And I think that is absolutely shocking, Michelle. I'm disappointed at you. Well, yeah, I don't <laughs> care what gender you are. You don't get to do culturally inappropriate. <laughs> and I know setting of the times and, and, you know, we're talking about the 60s. And yes, I wholly agree with Drew that um, the ability and the animation to make the characters... Um, look appropriate to the location was far better than the horrifically European <laughs> cast that played them, um, you know, some better than others um, in the in the live action. But it, it was pretty cringeworthy when you when you watch some of the <laughs> some of the casting uh, in the live action one. So yeah, that was a bonus of of the animation. I gotta say, since you all have expressed. Uh, appreciation for it i personally and maybe it's just personal taste was not that excited about this animation um i i feel like i have been more impressed with some of the other animated uh features that we've seen and it surprised me given this is one of the most recently released that i thought that the animation had been in my opinion improving with some of what we've saw but this this animation was so simplistic um that i I just didn't didn't care much for it. I mean, the Yetis were basically, you know, these outlines of fur with one or two strands of fur that would wiggle back and forth. Um, and and the the backgrounds, some of the things like Power of the Daleks, I remember thinking that the backgrounds were exquisite in the animation. And here, it was too simplistic for me. So I just wasn't a big fan of the animation in this one. So don't like the animation, don't like Victoria. <laughs> what did you like about this? Well, I, well, like I said, I, I like the setting. I like the doctor. Um, Patrick Troughton is really amazing. And I did love the one live action sequence where you just can't take your eyes off him when he, when he's acting. And, and I did think about, by the time we got to about the third episode, I thought, man, nobody has to learn any lines for this show because there's so little dialogue. But that means that when you can watch a live actor like Troughton on screen, you are just riveted. Um, I enjoyed some of the characters, Tomney in, in particular, um, you know, who kind of becomes uh, a companion and, you know, has to keep chasing Victoria around to try and get her out of places she shouldn't be. But um, I enjoyed, like I said, the the, the great intelligence and, and, and the threat that that... I enjoyed, um, you know, the web that was coming out of the the spheres in the cave that as the great intelligence was beginning to um, exert its influence and, and, and manifest in, in, in the earth. Um, I, you know, some of that was, that was, yeah, the, the plot, the setting just didn't care for the animation or Vicky or Victoria rather. I like Vicky. Mm -hmm. Vicky's, Vicky's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, just to, to comment on the animation, I agree. Um, Michelle, that, this is not my favorite animation, but uh, James, as you will find out when you watch episode six, I think there's a real spike in quality in the sixth episode. Um, they do some really interesting things with uh, lighting, which is weird when you are dealing with essentially two-dimensional uh, 
characters on on the screen and there's some really good lighting especially for the finale so i thought that was really cool i really enjoyed revisiting travers when he's a, a young individual because we don't get to really spend a whole lot of time with travers especially you know with with web but uh seeing the origin of that it's kind of odd to, to go in the reverse because like i wish we had had a <clears throat> pardon me Abominable Snowman first, so we could kind of get to know that character who really, really hates news people uh, and journalists to the point where he's very happy to put them to death. Um, <laughs> bit intense, that, Travers, but um, knowing them from web, uh, it's kind of cool to see the origins of that. Yeah, and again, just reiterating, uh, it's I, I, part of me wanted to go, well, Victoria is um, just so culturally inappropriate in, in that episode, and part of me is like, well... You know, maybe she's a, a a Victorian woman of standing and means, so she's used to having her own way. And maybe she's treating these people who she sees as lesser. But that's not really the character. I agree that if the script demands that of her, um, yeah. So that was disappointing. Uh, but yeah, I, as far as the overall story, not my favorite. Not my favorite. I, I think uh, I really love the novelization. And so part of that, I think, is the, the condensed of it. So there are little intimate parts that, that kind of lowered it. But didn't dislike the experience of watching it, and I certainly don't dislike the experience of talking with everybody about it. Um, any other thoughts before we move on to other stuff? I've never really been a huge Yeti fan, but you, you mentioned the Snowmen, uh, the Matt Smith story, and I have to watch that again because I don't remember much about it. I remember the new TARDIS. I remember... Uh, the doctor being sad over uh, Amy and Rory, and I remember Clara showing up. But yeah, I'll have to go back and watch that again. But yeah, to me, l- like you said, the Yeti have uh, to me they've never been really threatening. They just look like menacing Snuffleupagus, you know. And they're the <laughs> Snuffleupagus guy. Yeah, yeah. And there's a uh, there's a funny scene in the animation where one of them is standing by the TARDIS and the doctor just throws a rock at it. And that's like, doink. And it <laughs> it's really funny. Brent, I just want to jump in and, and, and what you said about the Yeti. I do feel that the Yeti in the original footage feels threatening. There's something about that matted fur and the sheer size of them compared to everybody else that uh, the animation just could not capture. And there's something really creepy about the lack of eyes uh, as well. You know, they're just sort of like this mass. So having a two-dimensional figure moving very, very slowly, it doesn't create that sense of dread that I, I feel like the original. But I mean, it, Yeah, it's, maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. There's, yeah. a, there's that, between that and, and the, um, the figure of the master came across as really comical to me uh which uh i i would love to see the final i mean i know wouldn't we all just want to see the original to begin with for all of the stories but i really want to see how that the um it i don't want to spoil anything for james who knows the story better than any of us but hasn't seen it um how how that ending is handled uh in the original versus the animation wasn't done poorly it's just now brent brent chime in now (laughs) okay yeah um there is a special feature on here called troutin in tibet Mm -hmm. and it was directed by a friend of the show chris chapman where toby haydock and fraser hines go back to the setting 
which is uh, Snowdonia in and Wales. And it's stunning. Absolutely yeah. stunning. It's it so. I was so sad that they weren't able to film in color back then because that setting was incredible. It is, yeah. And, and there are a lot of... Um, a lot of stills that they show, especially um, what you just said about what uh, Padma Sambhava looks like um, near death, you know, where he's been sitting in the chair for like 300 years. Um, there are some clips of that. And then there was a scene where, uh, okay, you know, in um, Dragonfire, where the guy's face melts, mm-hmm. they did that with this guy. And it was so gruesome that Pat Troughton was like, yeah, no, we, we can't do that. It's going to scare the children. So they they did film it, but they cut it out, and it wasn't put in there. And that was mentioned in, uh, in the behind-the-scenes. Um, also, for anybody who hasn't seen it, there are some really good um, footage from Fraser Hines and from uh, the director, uh, Gerald Blake. They both had their... Uh, Recorders that what are they called? The film cameras, like little eight eight millimeter or whatever eight millimeter film bricks. cameras. Yeah, oh, they're great. They're really cool behind the scenes. No sound. Home movies, just, uh, yeah, home movies. Home, home movies footage. of them just standing around acting silly, and it's it's really good. Yeah, and and um, I will also say that from the stills that we saw of what the master looked like, uh, Padma Sambhava, I don't think. I mean, it looked pretty hokey to me. <laughs> In in real life, and so I can see why they changed it significantly in the animation to try and make it a little more impressive. But I also agree that I didn't think it worked all that well in in the animation, um, especially with that strange lopsided smile. It, it just it was just just <laughs> that that may not have succeeded either in real life or in 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 animation. But I definitely would encourage folks to take a look at some of those um, the, the the added extras on it um boy just james i when we come visit whenever that is i don't want so much to see another car park but you could take me to snowdonia (laughs) i'm I'm quite happy to take you to snowdonia and and pick you up at some (laughs) and leave leave me there is what (laughs) (laughs) well obviously it's it's quite dangerous uh you know the (laughs) the hills of snowdonia i I have to admit is it because of all the yeti absolutely all of the yeti so is this a story that we'd love to have back if it was discovered? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to be able to, to watch these actors actually acting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't think there's any reason why we wouldn't want every single story of Doctor Who back. Uh, True. And, and again, I think Michelle mentioned this numerous times, Pat Troughton is just such an energizing actor. And to have him on the screen, I will take. I will take that. I, I would maybe lose some episodes to get that back. I mean, if we wanna, if we wanna forever lose Legend of the Sea Devils uh, in exchange <laughs> for some Pat Trouton episodes, let's just let's just go ahead and do that now. Where do I sign? Um, yeah, I, I I would take it back like a shot, but same as um, same as Drew, there isn't a single episode that's currently missing that I wouldn't welcome back. But if I had a limited number, then I think this would be up there. It's it's part of an incredibly strong run of Second Doctor stories, and uh, I mean we've mentioned Tomb of the Cybermen, but it was succeeded by the Ice Warriors, the Enemy of the World, 
and then the web of fear. So it was only a few stories before we saw Travers again. Uh, so, you know, this was a, a deliberate attempt by the production crew to create some kind of fan base that would appreciate, you know, a returning character in, in a way that a casual viewer would not. Uh, and therefore, I think it automatically means it's uh, an interesting time in this particular uh, Doctor's uh, continuity. And absolutely, I would love to. I would love to see this again. Um, and I think perhaps maybe some of the menace that I don't really see in the Yeti um, with the visual media that we currently have uh, would be there in the original episodes as transmitted. This sound that you heard. It came from the sphere, I swear it. Some sort of signal, do you think? Yes, it could be. Anyway, it's a help. How can this help? Well, with the right sort of equipment, these signals can be tracked. You mean you can find out where the Yeti are getting their instructions from? Yes, Where Jamie. can we find such equipment? We've got to get back to the TARDIS. Right. This equipment, you have it? Yes. But it's outside there on the mountain. Then you must go for it. You mean you'll let us go? I have no choice. I have failed. My warriors are powerless. I must trust you. <laughs> Come on, let's get me coat. Well, before we wrap up, um, is there anything going on that you guys might want to plug before we get out of here? More DWP. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> Come and hear our New Year episode on the Doctor Who podcast, which we have yet to record or even plan. Um, so at some point in the future, <laughs> you will hear our predictions for 2023. We just don't know when yet. <laughs> Probably 2024 at this rate. <laughs> I predict it will be sooner rather than later. Well, that's the first of the predictions that Michelle's gotten wrong for 2023. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We'll see what tune in next time to find out what happens. Uh, it, it just leaves us to thank our guests, James and Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Who and Company and this special episode of the DWP. Thank you so much for having us back. It is truly gracious of you to continue this tradition year after year when <laughs> I think for the other 11 episodes you get more interesting guests. So, uh. <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> I cannot stress enough how great it is to have reliable uh, guests. We're like, well, it's January. We don't have to go searching for anybody. Just just, change, just see when uh, James and Michelle are available. It's funny how we're always available, isn't it? <laughs> Our Come busy, on, we busy, know busy calendars. <laughs> like the highlight of your year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This in the car park. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the car park. <laughs> Well, again, thank you for joining us, and thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout-out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who and Company can be found on iheartradio.com and Spotify, or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. <laughs> <laughs>